We raise uh, ducks, geese, chickens, cattle, trees. We've been experimenting with bees and paying social media presence for us across YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, where we've got about four and a half million folks watching us. And this is maybe one of the struggles I have, why I don't necessarily call myself like a permaculturist, right? Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Vine podcast. My name is Cormac Harkin and today we have Morgan Gold on the show. Welcome, Morgan. Hey, I'm really glad to be here, Cormac. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm delighted to have you on. Uh, I've been following you now for since like, July 2019 when I checked. Oh, that's 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 quite a while then. I, I think I was just starting to raise my first geese back then. Yeah, so if I've been able to follow your journey, hopefully we can share that with people today. Do you want to just give a quick introduction? Sure. So, so my name is Morgan Gold, and I run Goldshaw Farm. It's a diversified farm operation here in Vermont, in the United States. We raise uh, ducks, geese, chickens, cattle, trees. We've been experimenting with bees and pigs and that sort of thing. Um, and then, kind of the other thing that I think we're probably more known for, even is uh, when I started the farm back in 2018, I really tried to figure out a way to market the duck eggs that I was going to start selling, which was going to be the first farm product. And so, to do that, I just started making videos about kind of my experiences here on the farm. And that's built out a, a pretty strong social media presence for us across YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, where we've got about four and a half million folks watching us kind of across all the different platforms. Wow, that's a lot of lot of people, a lot of eyes. Especially for our tiny, tiny little farm, yes. <laughs> uh so this this podcast is basically about permaculture and basically following people. How 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 can we show examples for people working in permaculture? And do you want to just tell you how how permaculture has influenced your farm? I know you have a Absolutely. permaculture orchard. Yeah, so so I, I really fell down kind of the agricultural rabbit hole like late in life. Like I was in my 30s. I, you know, didn't grow up on a farm, didn't have a background working in agriculture, but was working kind of in in kind of the financial services industry and and really unhappy with how things were going in my life. And as a side, I was actually um, doing, um, uh, you know, a little gardening. So I was growing uh, tomatoes on my rooftop in Brooklyn, New York, when I lived there. When we moved to Washington, D.C., we actually ripped up the front yard of our row house and put in garden beds. And so I was like kind of dabbling and experimenting with just, you know, growing a little vegetable here and there. But as I was doing that, I started to research things more and more. And I started to look at bigger things and started to kind of really study and learn about folks like, you know, uh, Joel Salatin or Mark Shepard or uh, Stefan Subkobiak and, and kind of seeing the different sort of ways that agriculture can play out as a system where all of the different pieces fit together. And I, I know a lot of folks like to talk about kind of permaculture as a, as a practice, and, 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 I, and I'm a big believer in it. I've done a PDC before, like kind of gone that route. But what I've found kind of in practice more and more is just, it's so much about thinking about that ecosystem and how all the pieces fit together. And so while I was, you know, growing, you know, vegetables in my garden in the city, I was dreaming of trying to do something bigger and broader and, and kind of more based in permaculture principles and more based in, and truly kind of trying to establish an ecosystem. And, and so that's what ultimately got us to looking at a way to try to escape the city and move up here to Vermont, which for folks who are not from the United States, you know, it's all 
all kind of on the eastern portion of the United States. But, you know, Washington, D.C. is like, you know, very much a city, you know, the capital of the country. Vermont is the far northern corner up kind of towards the border of uh, Quebec and Canada. And it's just much more rural and much more remote, which is where we've been here since uh, 2018. Right. Uh, a big change for you? Very much so. Yeah, it, 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 it was it was a big shift where, you know, we, we ended up buying the farm in 2016, starting to fix up the, the house and, and make it livable. But actually in 2017, when we were still living in D.C., I actually figured out a way to plant uh, our initial orchard where we put in about 600 trees that were a mix of um, chestnut, hazelnut, elderberry, mulberry, apple, black locust at the time and kind of put all of those together and and did it, you know, all on contour, did it in rows, did the rows interplanted with each other very much following kind of the permaculture orchard principles of like somebody like Stefan Subkoviak, where, you know, like a row might have a chestnut followed by a black locust, followed by an apple tree, followed by another black locust, or followed by another chestnut, black locust, and like just having these patterns down the rows. And so that's what we planted initially in 2017 when we were kind of first starting things. But then when I moved up to the farm full time in the spring of 2018, that's when I started raising ducks where we've added uh, livestock into things as well. And how, how's the orchard coming along now? Have you got much off it yet or still? It, it, it's sort of slow, but slow, but steady. And and I've been very much a, a follower of kind of the Bark Sh- Shepherd principle of stun of, you know, strategic total under utter neglect, I think is how the acronym plays out, where it's, you know, put them in. Um, they were like year old bare root tree seedlings, you know, mulch that first year or two. And, and just, you know, kind of let, let nature do its thing and see what performs and what doesn't. I've had some tree species or, or, or you know, cultivars actually kind of like just completely die out. Like, for example, we no longer have elderberry. We no longer have Siberian pea shrub. We no longer have um, uh, hazelnut because none of them actually did all that well. But black locust, chestnut, apple, and mulberry are primarily what we have interplanted there. We've also added a couple of things like walnut and butternut into the mix as well. But but that's what's been the focus. We've been getting mulberries. We actually would have gotten our first chestnuts this year, but we had a very late frost uh, back in May and it killed the few blossoms that I had. And so I was really hoping to have my first nuts this year. And unfortunately, that's not going to be the case, but I'm feeling pretty good about it happening for next year. Right. So how long was that? Six, seven years? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 2017. And yeah, here we are in the fall of 2023. 20, uh, so yeah, six kind of six years of just patience and letting it do its thing. And, um, and, and honestly, I mean, that that's why I rushed so quickly to put the trees in as the very first thing, even before we were living here, just knowing that it takes time, particularly because it's bare root. And then I think the other thing that I'll add to that I've done is as certain trees die or don't perform, I replace them with other trees that we sprout here on the farm, which is another side business that we have in terms of like the actual farming operations where I'll sprout my own black locust, I'll sprout my own apple, I'll sprout my own chestnut. And those either get sold to folks as as year old bare root seedlings or I just take them and plant them here on our farm uh, for myself. And so that, you know, kind of constantly updating, replacing those means I have some trees which are, you know, over 20 feet high now and, and like getting really great growth. And then others that are like, I just planted them last fall. I'm probably, I actually kind of missed my window this fall. And so I'll probably end up doing some planting in the spring with some others just to kind of 
sort of further flesh out uh, some of the spots of, of chestnuts that haven't done well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's slow, but steady and it's patient, which is why it's like one of those things that I do that sits in the background on top of the other aspects of our farming operation, like the animals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do know you, you have a lot going on there. So you, you have the, the orchard, the trees, the animals, and then the content, which we can get in a wee bit. So just in terms of the transition, before we move on to the sort of farm stuff. So I say as someone who's like myself, who might say, right, I've got a, a, I'm on an office job, I'm on a job, I want to get on the land. Any advice for anybody that sort of will be following your stories? Any permaculturists out there want to do it? Any reality checks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's a couple of things because I think, yeah, I mean, I know that like our story is not that different from where a lot of other folks kind of hope to be, you know, a few years out. And, and I think a couple of things that I found are this. Number one, the thing that you think you want to have play out and how it's going to play out never plays out the way you are when you're just kind of dreaming of it and writing it down on paper. And so to be willing to be kind of nimble and flexible and adapt to what your situation and your context specifically looks like, I think that that is like one of the most important lessons for me. And it took me a couple of years to really come to that conclusion. Like my initial plan was I was going to try to really focus on the duck egg operation, really build out a market, really differentiate myself, make that kind of the core farm product that we produce and then let all the other things start to sit on the back of it. The challenge I found is there really just wasn't a market for it. There really wasn't people who wanted to pay a premium for it. And it so it became very much a secondary thing. While at the same time, I kind of pivoted a little bit and started to focus in on geese, which are absolutely a core part of our business on the farm where we did, you know, you know, a ton of geese this year that we raise and sell, whether it be selling hatching eggs, selling goslings, selling uh, birds like meat birds, frozen birds that we harvest here on the farm. Like, each of those pieces is a huge part of our farm business now. That was not something I ever envisioned really getting into, but it was kind of like duck adjacent, which is how it got me there. And so to be flexible would be number one. I think number two, recognizing that, you know, to do it in stages is usually the better way to go. Like I've seen a couple of folks where they're like, okay, I've got enough money saved. I've got a nest egg. I'm going to go do it all next year. It's going to, I'm quitting my job. This is how I'm going to earn my living. I need to earn this much in year one. I need to do this. I need to do that. And like folks make these plans. Those plans don't create enough wiggle room for kind of that process that I described in, the, in kind of the first consideration, but it also doesn't give enough wiggle room for you to really find and build a market. And it puts almost undue stress on yourself. And so to be able to find ways to step into it versus leap into it, I think is super, super important. So can you find ways to have it be a side hustle while you still your work your day job? Can you find ways to maybe switch jobs? Like that, that was something I did. So I quit the job I had in Washington, D.C. when I moved here to Vermont. When I moved up here, I actually took a pay cut and took a smaller job. But the advantage of that job was I could live right here on the farm and I could actually start raising animals. That gave me a chance for a couple of years to build up my business. And it really wasn't until uh, January of 2022 that I quit that job, which was like a full-time day job, and just focused on the farm full-time. And so I gave myself a number of years to ramp up. That ramping up gave me the flexibility and the security and kind of the diversified business to do it with confidence versus like a wing and a prayer and, and you know, kind of having a lower probability of success. So you basically applied the same method to your orchard as you did your transition, just, just slow incremental steps, see what works. 
on then what you can focus on. Com- completely. And, and and I think that that's, you know, like if you're going to look for a big macro theme or idea, I think that that's a big one. And in that, you know, and, and this is maybe one of the struggles I have, why I don't necessarily call myself like a permaculturist, right? And why I don't like, you know, and I, and I don't mean to be say this insultingly, right? But like, it can sometimes feel a little culty where it's like, you think about your principles, you think about your, 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 you know, design zones, you think about like, oh, I need to have these guilds, or I need to do these things. And so often, what I find is just the observation and experience in working with your context and your situation specifically will dictate for you to do things differently than say I might do things. And so to be having the opportunity to make those adjustments and adaptations, I think is one of the more important kind of ideas that you need to have as you're looking to try to set up a farm of your own. Yeah, no, I agree with you on the, on the, on the cult thing. Uh, it's it's quite. I got chatted about it on the last podcast, which is out, out soon as well. That uh, basically people get tunnel vision on it, and it has to has to be this certain way. Where to me, it's it's a tool to apply. It's not a way. It's it's not a way of life. You should do everything. It's just a tool you should apply in a certain set of circumstances. Well, completely. Um, and, and I mean, here's here's the thing that I feel like I see with permaculture because I I personally had this as an experience, and I've seen other people fall into this too, where permaculture as a concept and ideas and sort of a way to think about agriculture very differently than kind of conventional methodology is super attractive and it makes so much sense and it's very logical and it in like you know it's very built on ideals which i think are beautiful beautiful ideals it's i think it's it's recognizing though that when you go from that idea of sort of doing it at a very very small scale to trying to be a practitioner at say a small to medium smaller but more medium sized scale you start to have to kind of make these trade offs and then to try to throw the layer of of making a profitable business on top of it you have other trade offs you need to make as well and so to be able to use those concepts to be able to strive towards those ideals i think are are like it's critically important but also recognizing that if you're too dogmatic, you will fail. I think that that's the 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 thing that that I wish I could see more folks coming to that conclusion. Yeah, a lot of do- I, like uh, I'm going to start a website. The somebody's probably taking this, but I, is this this isn't permaculture? That's not permaculture.com, and just put all the examples of people telling me that's not, <laughs> and like you're not really earning money. That's um, that's capitalism. But you need a profit to actually sustain yourself. So then well, that, it, that gets you into the dogma it, and stuck in that rut, and you'll never, you'll never expand and you'll never grow. Completely, like like you can have all the you know kind of kind of socialist principles versus capitalist principles debates and discussions you want, but like for the context that I live in here in the United States, we have the system that we have, and and sure, there's things that can help evolve that. But for me to say no, 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 I'm going to sit outside of that and be different. I just don't think is practical. And, 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 and so, yeah, I need to run a business. Yeah. I need to earn a living like that. I need to be able to pay the taxes on my land. Like those are just the facts and the reality of the situation. And so to work within that context is important if I want to continue to do this work. I think that's changing because just by me starting this and, and, and uh, myself, I start noticing different things. So when Opina the permaculture industry in North America, they're starting to promote more entrepreneurship, more business to try and get away from that. Uh, what was the the sort of the cultish type of dogma views, which is, I think is really encouraging. And there's a lot more stuff coming out now, like Sarah, we've had on think like a tree. How do you run your business? And it is business focused, not a pro. Well, I think it's great. 
Um, and it certainly gives me hope that I could fight, fight, get a full-time income. Uh, my background is a designer. I'm still working part-time. So I'm, I'm half, I've got one foot out the door. <laughs> well, and, and, I, and I think that that's good because to like be able to sort of start to see that I think is important. I think the other thing that's really important, like just, you know, hearing you say, hey, I'm a designer. Like, I think to be able to take your previous job skills and work skills, if you're trying to transition, you know, a lot of people will almost forsake some of those things when, you know, it's like you, you kind of work with the advantages that you have. And, and and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but here in the United States, like when I was a kid, there was a computer game called Oregon Trail. And the game was about, you know, you, you'd like be a, a kind of pioneer going westward in the United States, like in the 1800s. And you would start in different positions, whether you're like a, a banker in Boston or I think it was like a carpenter in Missouri and like a farmer in Indiana or something like that. And like you'd have these different things and you have different skills as well as different disadvantages that come with each of those places that you come from. I think for anybody making a transition into agriculture as a second career or like a mid-career shift, like recognize those things and how do you use that to your advantage versus like say, oh, I don't have like, you know, these skills and, and kind of curse what you don't got. How do you use what you do? Yeah, well, I, I've said that as well. It's basically, if you're a website designer, design websites for people in agriculture. If you're an administrator, become a VA for someone who's doing that. You know, just pick your career that complements what your skills that you have rather than trying to just like start afresh. Well, I, I think there's that. But uh, then I think even the structure of your own business, you can play that, right? Like, so... For, for example, for me, and I mean, this gets into kind of part of how like our, our farm has grown. You know, I, I have always like had experience with like working with videos and doing marketing and content. And so when I was saying, okay, I, I'm going to have duck eggs. Am I going to try to spend all my day like trying to just work a, a farmer's market and sell them there? Or can I find other ways to promote and sell the duck eggs through the internet? Is that is that an opportunity? that's where I took like kind of my traditional skills and was able to apply it. And so it makes my farm look very different than most other farms, but you know, I, I still believe it's better to be different than be better. And, and so, you know, that, I think that that's how it can play out. And so it's not even just that it's like, how do you think about the design of your farm? How do you think about using a strong design aesthetic to kind of the products you produce and how you put those out? Like, I think there's other ways to do it than just taking like a job that has like a connection to agriculture, but you're still doing the same thing. There's almost a deeper way to say, how do you apply those core skills that you have as a designer to agriculture, to a farm business? Like, I, I, th I think that there's actually even more opportunity for innovation as folks start to do that. So you mentioned that you had a PDC. Did you do that before you came out? Before you, when you were still in yeah, Washington, yeah, um, it was like uh, 2015, 2016, yeah. And what uh, I always ask, what 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 format did that take? Was it online it, or in? It was an online course, yeah. Like, and and basically, um, went kind of through it and just got to kind of soak up everything and, and just it, it it was nice because it served as a good like base and background of information, given that I had like zero agricultural roots and you know. I think a lot of folks will go down this. I mean, I'm sure folks even listening to this podcast are maybe in this stage as we speak, where it's like when you start to first get interested, you go down this research rabbit hole where you start to read certain books, where you start to listen to certain podcasts, where you start to watch certain videos on YouTube and kind of like each of those pieces as you get deeper into it, like helps 
feed out and fill out kind of your knowledge base. And then you start to kind of build out and kind of form your own perspective. And, and for me, yeah, that PDC really helped as an initial wave of, of getting some understanding. I know your, uh, your, so your current operations, you have, again, multiple income streams from just your own farm stuff as well, which you've yep. developed. Yeah. So, so in terms of like the income streams we have for the farm, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, trees are actually one where we sell tree seedlings. Um, maybe eventually we'll do tree crops, but we're just, we're not at that stage of development yet. Two, uh, we do a lot with geese for, um, uh, basically, you know, either breeding, selling live animals or selling meat birds. And so that's a big part of it. And, and we have kind of like a full, you know, we don't bring geese onto our farm at this point, other than like occasionally for genetic diversity, we don't like, you know, when I did my first year of raising meat geese, I bought a bunch of goslings from a hatchery and that's how I raised them out. Now, everything that we sell as a meat goose is actually hatched here on farm from our breeding flock. And so what's nice is like because of the weather and climate that we have, you know, the different stages of hatching and raising those geese kind of like give a different income stream, whether it's, you know, the, like I said, fertilized eggs, whether it's selling, you know, goslings to people who want to add a, a goose to their homestead or to their farm or Stephen want multiples. Or then once it gets later in the season, I hatch them here myself and those just end up becoming all the meat birds that get harvested in the fall. Like that's one example of it. Um, we also do beef and we raise cattle and that's a newer thing that we've been doing since late 2021 and still getting up to scale. We did our first steer last year. We're going to have another steer next year. Then we're going to actually start to get into a, a rhythm where we're going to probably have a couple of steers each year that we're, we're harvesting for beef. Um, and so that becomes a business unto itself. And then we used to do duck eggs um, for hatching as well as for eating. I've actually phased it out because it's just, the, the work and effort required wasn't meeting kind of the threshold of, from a profitability standpoint. And so I phased that out and uh, actually this year have been dabbling with doing uh, uh, pork where we've been trying to make like pigs, the ultimate recyclers, where we've been working with a few of the local breweries here in, in Vermont, which, you know, Vermont as a state in the United States has more breweries per capita than anywhere else in the United States. And so basically taking spent brewers grains as well as like vegetable product waste, feeding pigs off of that and seeing like, is there a business case for something like that working? And, uh, you know, we just did our first wave of that this year. And so like, I'm still kind of working through the numbers and, and sales, but like that I think is going to ultimately be a, be a part of the farm business as well. Um, so, so it's like, yeah, kind of each of these pieces kind of coming as, as kind of a bigger part of the picture for us. So you've touched on it there. Your, your approach to everything then is very from a, a financial point of view. You weigh you weigh all these things before you add something to the farm. You've already thought this out and weighed it out. Well, yeah. So, so I mean, it's not to say that everything fits into that mold. Like we have bees on our farm, and I have bees for two reasons. One, I think they're really good for the ecosystem of the farm. But then, two, we get some honey. We produce maple syrup here on our farm, not at scale, but it provides us all of our our kind of sweetener for the year. Um, we have like a kitchen garden where, you know, probably about 80% of our diet is coming from the farm in the warmer months and, you know, probably about still, you know, 60% in the colder months. And, and like, 
you know, that's just for us. We're not doing that commercially. And so, so there's certain things that we do at what I'll call like a homestead scale, um, which those would be examples, but then other parts of it, like, this is what I see as the distinction between a farm and a homestead, right. Or a small holding, uh, for folks in the UK, where if, if, um, if like, I'm thinking about it as a business that to me makes it the farm. If I'm just thinking about producing food and then, you know, eating it or maybe sharing it with some friends and neighbors or, or relatives, it feels like it's much more of a homestead scale. And so there's different parts of our operation here that fall into those two different categories. But I try to apply that like profitability mindset to it. You know, my background is in business. My background is in running businesses. And so if I'm not doing that and being true to that in terms of how I'm thinking about my farming operation, I feel like I'm missing something there. Yep. And then uh, you have the other side and the third sort of the third side and the, the content business. Uh, yes, so, that, that's <laughs> which which to be you know 100 percent transparent is absolutely the uh, largest part. And you know, uh, like like I would not probably be full time still even at this stage if it wasn't for that piece. But that piece has made it so that yeah, I can just make either making content about our farm or running the farm be like what I do every day full time. Um, and, and so I feel super, super lucky with that, but I think it's also important that you got to like, keep saying that because when folks see our videos on the internet and they're like, wow, this guy's able to do all this with like a handful of cattle and, you know, you know, a bunch of geese in the summer. And that seems crazy. I want to do that too. It's like, yeah, but you got to recognize there's a, a more complex picture in the mix. And I think for a lot of folks who have small farms right now, more and more, they're finding that there needs to be some form of agrotourism falling into their farm's business strategy. And so I consider like content, like the like the videos I, I produce on and put them on social media as a form of that, where I'll make videos, I'll put it up on, for example, YouTube, then YouTube runs advertising against those videos. They then give me a percentage of that advertising. And so I get a check every month from them, which helps me pay my bills. Um, and so that to me is similar than if I were to like, say, have folks come here on farm and do tours, or that to me is like similar, like, I, I don't know if this is popular in Europe, but like in, in the United States, like goat yoga, where people can come and do yoga on the farm and like have a bunch of little baby goats running around and it's adorable. Like that's a business. Or I have some friends who have a farm down the road where they have farm stays, where they have like little like cabins that people can stay on on the farm and experience like farm life. And it's great. I don't do those things because I can make my agro-tourism fall in the form of social media content. But I think most small farms that I know that are successful small farms have some sort of element of that at play these days. Yeah, I think I, I heard somebody say to me before, like basically in a, one of these conference things, basically if you're not, if YouTube's not sending you a check every month that you, you should, basically everybody who's doing anything should, YouTube should be sending them a check. So they should be on YouTube. It's like your, I think Gary Vaynerchuk says, everybody should be a content agency, basically putting stuff out all the time. Uh, see, I, I actually yeah. don't agree with that though, because I, I think yeah. where, where I see it as, it's like, you've got to do things that work to what speaks to you and connects to your strengths and to your passions. Because I see people out there, like, you know, particularly on YouTube, but even like TikTok or other things where they're doing videos and doing content because they feel like it's the thing they're supposed to do. 
but they're not very passionate about it. They don't really like doing it. They don't really like putting themselves out there. And and I actually think it's hundred percent the wrong thing to do to do that. If it doesn't fit you, like for me, I have always been since I was a little kid and like drawing comics and sharing them and making like photocopies and giving them to people. I always love telling stories and sharing that with people. And so for me, the creative aspect of making videos really fulfills a part that makes me satisfied as a person. And so to couple like the two things I'm most passionate about where like if I, you know, won the lottery and just had like a, a massive windfall of cash, my life would not look that drastically different because all I really want to do is work on my farm and make videos. And so I would kind of continue to do that. That's not everybody. And I, I sometimes feel like collectively there's this growing pressure that pushes people to do that versus say maybe you're a better writer maybe you should think about writing maybe you're actually better at like hospitality and engaging with people maybe you're a better educator you should think about courses and on-farm learning experiences and like so yeah you're probably going to need sort of a non-traditional farm activity on your farm to make all the pieces fit but I don't think people need to feel like this unfair pressure to say that they should be or they have to be doing social media. Yeah, I agree. To do what do it makes you happy and you're comfortable with. And then there's the other perspective then that people see like yourself, uh, like what is it, eight hundred thousand followers on YouTube, and then think I have to get to that. But I think too, there's a, a thing about a thousand true fans. And you can make a, a a modest income from only having a few thousand subscribers and you serve that community, that smaller community, better because you can, completely. can serve each, yeah. each individual one. Yeah, which I think also gets to like, you know, again, you can't be one size fits all. You really have to think about your context, your situation, and then form a strategy and plan that takes advantage of, of the strengths that you have, as well as acknowledges works around the disadvantages that you might have. Yeah. And, uh, any, any future plans for the channel? Um, I mean, not, I started, mean, like, well, go, go ahead. Sorry. Hey, sorry. You just started podcast recently. Well, yeah. So, yeah. so I, I actually had the podcast for a long time. Like I think right. I started like in 2019 and it was something I just kind of did but sometimes like I'll do something and then just, I have too much going on and I have to prioritize and say, okay, you know, I just don't have the time realistically to do this. And so I dusted it off and picked it up again this summer. I kind of did it over the last few months as an experiment and I'm working on actually updating and doing some stuff where I think I'm going to kind of spin it off a little bit um, in, in the new year. And so I can have nothing to announce just yet on that, but, but there's some stuff coming there. <laughs> right. Uh, I think I heard you mention that. Um, and then your book as well. Yeah, I, I think that's the, actually, that has been the other big kind of other side development. So I um, put out my first book this year. Uh, it's called Toby Dog of Goldshaw Farm. It is the story of my livestock guardian dog, Toby, and his experiences first coming to the farm as a puppy a few years back. And it's a children's novel. And so it, you know, kind of think of like books like Charlotte's Web or, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of another good example that's more European based and I can't. So I apologize. But like, you know, it, it really is an animal story with a lot of like interesting, quirky characters in the form of the animals here on our farm, as well as some of the wild animals and how all of they interact. And so that came out in September. It's available, you know, pretty much on Amazon, Audible. There's an audio version where like I read it and I have some actors doing it. But I'm actually in the process right now, this winter, now that I have more time on, on my on my schedule 
schedule of actually writing a sequel to it. And so um, that'll probably, if, if I can keep going at the rate I'm going at, that'll be something I probably put out towards the end of 2024. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm really loving it too, because it get, again, it gets to what I'm really passionate about, about storytelling and engaging people with the ideas of farming, as well as, you know, being able to uh, like connect things with our farm to the broader world. Like I love doing that. And, and writing has just been sort of another thing I've discovered that allows me to do that in a, just a different way. I, I think it's amazing all the different threads you have, all the, all the lines that are out there. Uh, again, it's a good permaculture principle, diversification and well, but but I mean, and, and that gets yeah. into where, yeah, well, this is why I still believe so many, so much of the core principles of permaculture, where it isn't about just one thing. It is always about how the different pieces fit together. That's whether you're thinking about kind of the plants and animals within a given space to thinking about how a community works, to thinking about how a business should be run. It, each one of these things is its own unique ecosystem and finding ways to create balance and stack functions and create connections. Like that's really where the most magical stuff happens. Like, like in, 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 and I think, you know, for folks to kind of be looking at other parts of their farm in that same way that they might be thinking about the, the plant soil environment um, and, and animal interactions. I, I, I think like not enough folks are doing that in my opinion. And any advice, any pitfalls that you found that you've had to overcome, any challenges? Um, overall, oh golly, yeah. Like I mean, <laughs> I you know the number of mistakes I've made over the years could fill a, a book unto itself. I think I think that that's definitely one. But if I was going to chalk up one above all else, I think it is just being willing to accept the things you cannot control. It's almost like the, the Alcoholics Anonymous serenity prayer where it's like, you know, there are certain things you can change and you need, really need to put your energy there. There's certain things you can't change and just accept them and work with them. Um, is so much that I feel like probably the first couple of years, I was just kind of fighting against nature and fighting against kind of the broader context versus embracing it and trying to work within it and influence only the things that I can. And then when you're going through all that process, how how have you managed that in terms of support? And is it like, have you, uh, like they say, they build a good network, get you know, people in the business and stuff like that. Uh, how, how have you, how have you navigated that? Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I think there's different pieces and some of it, it's recognizing that I, I, you know, want to do myself versus can I bring in somebody to help? And so for example, like at this point we put out, uh, Four long videos on YouTube each week, a couple of videos on Facebook, um, and then probably a dozen short videos across the different platforms. And so, like, I brought on an editor to help me do that. Um, and, and so, like, I have some help there. Um, but then other parts of my farm business I've actually kept small so that I could just be a one-person operation. And and so, um, you know, like I could have probably doubled or tripled my goose sales this year, but I wouldn't have been able to do all that myself. And so I kind of kept it at, at where it was just so that I could kind of keep it more manageable as well as be able to do other things like the experiment with pigs. Um, and, and so like, it, it's just, it's recognizing that, yeah, you bring on the help where you need it, bring on the help where you don't, and like make choices, you know, I've got friends who I can rely on to help me with certain projects and activities. Um, I also have like folks who are great mentors and, and sources of, 
um, you know, knowledge who I can call on and just shoot a text to and get some info. And then I also just have friends that I commiserate with where we can kind of get together and, and, you know, talk about the good and the bad, because I think, you know, so much of like working on a farm, right. Can be lonely. Even if you're putting out content, that's still really just one way of communication and to be able to have like deep connection and, and, you know, conversation with people who matter to you and, and can understand your perspective. I think it's important as you're pursuing like a farm dream to not lose the, the kind of sight, not lose sight of like just how valuable that is in and of itself. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure. Do you ever stop? <laughs> you must be flat out seven days. <laughs> I mean, I do drive my wife a little crazy with it, but, but again, uh, this is where like, if you're passionate about something, it, it really that's that's a, that's where the magic happens. And and because like I love creating because I love like, you know, I was outside actually working on our new barn and like installing some wiring stuff like I just love like hunkering down and doing that sort of stuff. And it's so much fun that, yeah, it stops feeling like work and it just it becomes about pursuing your passion. I think the biggest thing for me is actually finding ways to regulate and balance that, because, again, all uh, so much of life is about finding that balance and and trying to keep things in that balance. That to me is the bigger part. I have to to find kind of the regulation on. Yeah, I have no choice. My life's just chaos at the moment. <laughs> well, but it's it's recognizing that that's sometimes a part of it too. Like, um, uh, if you talk to me in say September, my life was complete chaos as well. I was launching a book. I was still like about to do my goose sale and process all my geese and like, you know, getting all my trees sold and doing all like all the farm stuff was going crazy. It was getting colder. So I knew I had a limited time for certain projects. Um, and so I was just like running around with like a chicken with his head cut off. But now that I'm in like, you know, December officially, like I've got so much more time on my hands where my farm work, like the actual farm chores of the day I don't know, probably take about 45 minutes. It's not, I don't, I don't want to overplay it. Like I'll probably actually go out this afternoon and feed the cattle hay, which adds on another half hour, but I only have to do that a couple times a week. And so it's like, you know, the amount of time I actually have to do farming is, is, is much less. And so that gives me a chance to tackle other projects around the farm that I wouldn't typically have that time as well as just to rest myself and, and like recognize I can't have that downtime to regulate. And so I think there's no shame in being chaos and all out but you just got to recognize you can't do it for too long or you will pay a price in some way, shape or form. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just like the permaculture, right? Like if you continuously are extracting resources without giving back, you are going to ultimately find yourself in a place where, where your, your soil's barren. That's not that different with people. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, Borgers, anything else you'd like to add? Have we missed anything? We've covered all the bases there, I think. No, this is a great conversation. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I could geek out on this stuff for hours. So I, I don't know yeah. if there's anything else you wanted to dive deeper on, but, but thanks for having me. I, I really no, I've, I've really, I've enjoyed it. Uh it's, um, I say like I, I love watching your, uh, your storytelling. It's a, it's a great way. I, I always enjoy them, and. Examples you gave today are great. Uh, I'm going through a transition, sort of transition myself. I'm trying to trying to get into that full time, but I don't want to be a farmer either. Because well, for me, well, I was going to say, so, just, so what's your dream? Yeah, what what are you hoping for? I'm just hoping for do some design work uh, and have a small, uh, a small acreage like nothing, nothing big. Uh, 
half acre kitchen garden, grow some potatoes. <laughs> not not to avoid the stereotype or anything. I, I like a very lazy type of gardening. And then just a nice balance of being outside and doing some design work. I like the variety of doing, looking at different properties. I enjoy that. And then that gets me out and about. And as well, I'd be quite happy at that. Just working from home, doing some design. Most of my designs are remote designs. So at the minute, trying out to build, uh, build my business in Ireland. Um, so I have, I have potentially some work coming up so I can, I can get out and about and start creating content. I'm hoping they start a channel in the new year or start recording more sort of personal type stuff. Cause a lot of stuff we've done so far is, uh, hasn't been the best. It's been more lecture style content. Um, but then again, it's just finding our feet and it's getting that confidence. And I think now we've, this is episode 36, I think it's 37, 38. Um, so again, it's just getting used to being in the camera, talking to people. I couldn't have talked to you 30 episodes ago. <laughs> well, but, but honestly, uh, that, that that's such a big uh, thing too. Cause like uh, I, I've left my oldest YouTube videos up just very intentionally. Right. And like, if you go back to like the spring of 2018, when I first started making videos, they're pretty rough, man. <laughs> like, and, and very awkward. And, and, and I think that that's a big part of it where the more you do it and just the practice and the experience and like getting through it and doing it over and over again and learning and evolving, there's just so much value in, 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 in that exercise alone, which always feels so uncomfortable initially. But if you don't go through that discomfort initially, you're never going to ever do it. I mean, like, it's just reality. It's, it's part of the game. Yeah, and the reason I don't know this is I like talking to people. I find it very hard going on Facebook groups or Telegram groups and chatting. I like the face-to-face. I could talk for hours face-to-face to people. It's sitting in a bar, having a drink, talking all day. Well, uh, but that, that's exactly what I was saying earlier, where uh, it's like if the more you can play to your strengths and the more that you can do what you feel most comfortable with and what you do best and make that a part of your strategy, the better off you're going to be versus – trying to say, oh, well, I got to go, you know, make vlogs about, a, you know, this or that. Like if, no, if having good, meaningful conversation is like where you are and yeah, you're a great conversationalist, then get into it and like find ways to like take advantage of that skill and strength. Yeah. And you say you have to put on the reps. That's what I learned. I might, you might want to do something, but not be comfortable. Uh, and I still have a long way to go yet, but I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I'm enjoying meeting different people, hearing different stories. And then bringing them examples to other people, um, I just I enjoy it. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I mean it's it's, uh, it's really great to hear. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully the channel now will be more focused on just me. I'm going to do five videos, see how I get on, and again if I don't like it, I'll just. <laughs> I'll just leave them up there. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just it. Like you, you can do uh, it and then you can like, there's no rule that you can't stop. Like even like, yeah. I, I think so many people get in their own head like, Oh, I can't stop now because people will be disappointed. Like, no, just, if, if you're not getting value from it, you're not seeing value or enjoyment or anything from it, then yeah, just let it go. There, there's well, other ways to spend your time and energy. I, I'm, I'm the type of person. If I go into a movie theater and uh, after 10 minutes, I'm not enjoying it. I walk out. I just, there you go. Some people will sit there because I'm here and I'll watch it and then come out and go out to rubbish. Whereas I just go, nah, I'm away. <laughs> uh, Morgan, thank you very much. Absolutely. It's, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, Goldshaw Farm on YouTube. And I'll leave, yeah. your, I'll leave your links in the description. It's awesome. Been great. Yeah, no. It's been great having you. Thanks for having me, Cormac. Great chatting with you.